Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Isn't God amazing? You know what's stirring my heart at the moment? Is the idea that the church in the Bible is described as this amazing, amazing, amazing thing. I can share a few verses a bit later, but it's it's talked about as a bride that Jesus is passionate for this bride and she's beautiful to him and he's committed to making her beautiful, spotless without blemish and washing her with water through the word and providing for her and nourishing her. She's this amazing bride. She's also this army. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So it's a bride with, a, with an attitude, <laughs> with a sword, <laughs> you know, beautiful but wicked and strong and all that stuff. And then it's, it's this family, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but members of the household of God or the family of God. It's a building, it says you're being built together into a building where God lives by His Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 3.21 says the glory of God is in the church. Ephesians 3.11 says His manifold wisdom, His multicolored wisdom is being revealed to the spiritual powers through the church. There's some incredible verses. Um, We're a body, a strong body like Jesus. He's the head and we are the body that does His work in the earth. There's this amazing, all these pictures of the church that if you just read the Bible, if you were an alien who just arrived on planet earth and you didn't know what the church was and you just read pretty much the book of Ephesians, but maybe a couple of other verses, but pretty much the book of Ephesians, you would think the church is this incredible thing. And my heart, uh, just as we were singing and praying this morning, my, my heart was feeling like it's, it's like we as Christians and as the world and as humanity, we've taken this beautiful, vibrant, alive, powerful thing with the life of God in it, and we've reduced it to an organization an institution. It's a bit like taking children out of a lovely, happy, strong family and putting them in an orphanage. It's, you know, it's a bit like uh, taking a, a soldier from the front line where he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and he's powerful and you put him in front of a computer and you say, play a, a, a war game on the, a video game. It's, it's like taking something that's alive, a, a, a marriage, a life relationship that's beautiful and powerful and intimate and reducing it just to, uh, I don't know, you know, on a chat line on the internet, trying to talk, chat up girls or something. It's taking something alive and making it plastic. And I, I'm just so sad about that. But you know what I'm passionate about is the Bible says the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn getting brighter and brighter and brighter to the full light of day. That means no matter what the past has been, the future is brighter. And we have the chance in Christ. You know, God is so gracious. He says His mercy is new every morning. Every day we get the chance to start again and say, scrap the past. Let's go forward with what we should be doing. And I'm just so encouraged by that. Some people are threatened by that. They say, what are you saying? All the tradition of the church all the tradition of the centuries. You're going to just scrap it and start again? How are we going to know about church? How are we going to know what to do if we, if we just ignore everything that all the centuries of, of Christians have done? 
Well, the great news <laughs> is we've got it here. We've got the blueprint. Ephesians 2 says we are being built together into a house, a temple, as the church, where God's Spirit lives in power. And how do we build that temple? It's not going to be based on the traditions of church history. It's going to be based on this blueprint. And we're just so privileged to have it. Amen? So let me read to you. Last week we looked at Ephesians, uh, sorry, the book of, uh, of Acts and the church in Ephesus. And I'm just going to read on the next section, which is still talking about Ephesus. So Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So Miletus is about 30 or 40 miles away from Ephesus. Paul is on a, on a mission to get to Jerusalem before the Passover. And he wants to hurry because of the weather and all sorts of um, transport issues. And so he lands in Miletus. He sends a message to Ephesus, the church that we looked at last week, how it started and how it was going. Sends a message and it says he sent to the church in Ephesus for the elders. What do you imagine when you hear those words? Paul in, in Miletus, a little town, and he sends a message. What is the church in Ephesus that he's sending a message to? And how many elders come? Just, let's just imagine. What, what's in your mind? There's a little stone building with a little steeple. And there's a, there's a guy in vestments with a little black collar. And, and he's got three elders, but he calls them whatever the, I don't know, the names that churches come up with for officials in, their, in the churches are just boggle my mind. I don't know. I, I'm not even going to say them because I'll probably get them wrong. But the number of positions we created in the church. Anyway, is that what he did? Was it a little church in Ephesus? No. Last week we saw there were at least 100,000 Christians in Ephesus. When it says he sent to the church in Ephesus, forget this idea of a little building and a few little people. It was a heaving, vibrant city of people. A hundred thousand Christians in a city of 400,000. It was an enormous mass of, of humans. And they're called the church in Ephesus. And yet, within the church in Ephesus, Paul says, greet the church that meets in Priscilla's house. Greet the church that meets in Chloe's house or whatever. So they this idea of church actually is multifaceted. There's the church worldwide, yes. There's the local church, yes. But then there's the city church. Are you getting that? There's the worldwide church. Hallelujah, we're part of the church worldwide. There's a local church, but then there's a city church. And what's the tragedy that's happened is that the modern day church has merged the city church and the local church into one. And it doesn't, it falls between two stools. It doesn't meet the, the purposes or, or the, the plans of either. The little church in the house was small and intimate. And because it was small and intimate, all the verses in the Bible that talk about whenever you come together, each of you has something to contribute. There's gifts being used by everyone in the congregation. All of you are ministering to one another, loving one another, praying for one another. There's the family of God, the life of God in the small church, that happened in the small ones. The city church had elders, 100,000 people in the church. We've taken both of those, we've merged them into one, made it about 100 people, and all the strengths of the big and the little are lost. Ooh, 
Craig, what are you saying? I'm passionate about this, friends. I just think the church today is nowhere near what it should be or could be. We are so far from the mark that it's no wonder the world looks and says, oh, no thanks. I don't want church. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll watch on the TV. I'll watch on the internet. I'll get my worship from this CD and I'll do this and oh, well, whatever. The church is nowhere near what it could be. And the life of God that should be flowing out of this beautiful bride. Uh, it's, you know, I went to boarding school and I can remember leaving my family home, even though it wasn't a particularly strong and happy family. I loved my family home. My mom knew how to cook food that I loved. And I remember getting on the bus with my big metal trunk ready for the seven hour bus journey to Plumtree and just holding back the tears, to be quite honest, because I got there and it was a sterile place with, you know, just nothing on the walls and just hard stone floors and no friends. And the meals were just hundreds of us in this big room. And, they, they, you know, they just it was mostly grease and fat about that much on the top. And it was just horrible. And I remember thinking, oh, I just want to be at home. And I just think that so many people are going to church and instead of getting the, the passionate bride on a mission with the love of God and the family around us, we're just getting institutionalized rubbish. So let's move on. I've done one verse. That's terrible. Acts 20 verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Can I just say elders is an Old Testament term. Every city in Israel had elders. And the elders would sit at the city gate and they would judge matters. People would come to them and say, so-and-so stole from me, you know, Judge Judy type stuff. So-and-so did this to me and the, and the elders would help to organize and they would run the city. And there was somewhere between 20 and 70 elders in a city in, in Israel. There was Never more than 70. Jerusalem had 70. That was called the Sanhedrin. Do you remember Jesus was called before the Sanhedrin? It's called that because there were 70 elders. And so in Ephesus and in other cities, whenever Paul set up a church, there were lots of little house churches. So in Ali's church, there's a little, in Ali's house, there's a little church. And in Karina's house, there's a little church. And in everybody's house, there's churches. But then over the city, there are elders. And they're probably, I'm guessing, no more than, I don't know, maybe 30, 50, 70, maybe 100 elders. But for 100,000 people in the church, that's not a lot of elders. That's about one elder for maybe 2,000, 3,000 people. But there were elders over the city, but they didn't get involved in every little church, every little meeting. They just oversaw, and we're going to see a little bit more about what the elders do. I'm still on one verse. This is bad. Verse 18, when they had come to them, to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, which means Ephesus pretty much, in what manner I always lived among you. Paul is just going to bear his heart. Paul the apostle who came into Ephesus and started this church is just going to, this is an intimate moment. He's sharing with the 50 or 100 elders. He's pouring out his heart and he's opening to them. And it's just so poignant. It's not formal. <laughs> it's a family on a mission. You know how I lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So when he says this, if they knew that he was lying, they would have, it would have been obvious. But he was saying, I lived 
in humility. In other words, I'm not the great leader who must be obeyed. Listen, I'm offering the gift the Lord has given me. You take it or you don't. I'm not promoting myself. I'm not giving myself a title, a position. I'm not enforcing and demanding. I'm offering the life that God has given through me, the gift that God has given. I'm offering it. Take it or leave it. And many people t left it. Um, in uh, 2 Timothy 1, he says, everyone in Asia has deserted me. In, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I'm not an, an apostle to everyone, but I am to you. There were lots of people who said, I don't want your gift, Paul. But he was humble enough that he didn't say, you must listen to me. He said, here it is, take it or leave it. And in tears, he was just, you know, he wasn't this great orator who stood up with a polished five-point message and lots of long words and clever ideas. Tears, humility, family. That's, that's the idea. Verse 20, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. That's the big meeting. Remember, in uh, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Paul would gather everyone together. And it wasn't everyone. There were 100,000 Christians in the city, and there were maybe room for 200 people in the lecture hall. So there was like shifts going on. I believe he would have a session of teaching and 200 would come in and then another session and another 200. And in that way, everybody got to hear Paul maybe once every two weeks, I would guess, maybe once a week. But it w that's so publicly in lecture hall of Tyrannus and then from house to house, he would visit the odd houses and talk to people. And that's, that's how the church was set up. Verse 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance. This next little section gives us an idea of the theology and the, the preaching messages that Paul would give. And I don't have time to go into it now, but if you are studying, if you're a preacher and you want to know what to preach in church, you just go through the next few verses of Acts 20 and he lists the things that should be preached in church. And it's awesome. So he says, um, testifying to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance faith toward the Lord Jesus. And see, now I go bound to, in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's another one of his hallmarks of what he preached. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, that's another thing he preached, will see my face no more. You can imagine them going, oh, what? We're not going to see Paul anymore. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that doesn't mean he preached every single word in the Bible. The word counsel is the word bule, which means the purpose, the main will of God, the, the thing that God is going to do. And we did a purpose course a few weeks ago, but he preached the counsel or the purpose of God. Verse 28, therefore, now listen, he's talking to elders and now we see what elders job is. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased 
with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, in other words, some of those elders right there present, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul cried a lot, by the way. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I'd like to just talk about elders. He's, he calls them, my, my first point about elders is the title of elder. He calls them elders when he calls them to come to Miletus to meet with him. But then he says, Take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word episkopos, which is translated bishop in some Bibles. So elder and bishop and overseer are the same thing. Same title, same name, same person. Elders equals overseers equals bishop. Okay? Then he goes on to say, to shepherd the church of God. And that's poimen, that's the word for pastor. So, elder equals bishop equals overseer equals pastor. It's the same thing. How institutionalized have we made the church where we've got to have these different levels and layers of deacon, subdeacon, archdeacon, archbishop, sub something, something else. And it's just... An institution. He's saying elders are over a city. They sit at the city gates. They watch. They guard. They oversee. They shepherd. They pastor. It's the same job. Is that okay? We don't need titles. We don't need positions. They guard and watch out for error. They're watching over the flock. They're not doing all the pastoring. The people in the little house churches are doing the pastoring. They're sharing their gifts. They're, they're ministering to one another. The few elders are watching out to make sure error doesn't happen and that people aren't taking advantage of other people. Isn't that interesting? I just find it fascinating. But you know what's happened is we've taken this picture, we've shrunk this 100,000 city church down to a little church of 100, we've put in five elders over 100 people when there was supposed to be one elder over 5,000, and then we've made sub-deacons who try to, now you guys are going to manage the money, and it's, it's just, we've made this cumbersome machine out of something that's supposed to be alive, vibrant, full of alacrity and, and life and ready to spread move and make another church and make another group and move to another city and get the mission done. We've formalized it. We put a building around it. And suddenly this thing that was beautiful and alive is dead, inward focused, fighting with one another and people shuffling for position. I want to be this, the main deacon in this little group of a hundred. What? It's pathetic. We've taken an alive army family bride and turned it into a little political, inward-looking thing that just fights amongst itself. It's pathetic. <laughs> so, I don't really mind if anyone gets offended. It's just pathetic. <laughs> right. Verse 33. Let me talk about money quickly. 
He says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I find that quite funny. He says, I didn't want your money or your clothes. It was quite funny. When I was at Bible school, there was this thing where we tried to bless one another. We had guys come in and say, why don't you bless the other students? And so we would give gifts and we would put money in people's post boxes. And it was really fun. But people started to manipulate the system a bit. And people would come and say, oh, I'm liking your jacket, brother. And they were trying to get it, you know. Oh, nice shoes. And it kind of got a bit weird. Um, can I just say, I think it would be great if in our church we gave anonymous gifts, or even non-anonymous gifts, but just bless one another with money. But as soon as somebody starts working the system, if I hear of somebody who's going to somebody else and saying, Oh, I'm so hungry today. Please, would you help me? I, I don't like that. And, and we mustn't be doing that. Amen? He says, I've coveted nobody's silver, gold, or apparel. People say... That we, I've had people criticize me to say we don't talk about money enough. And I'd rather be on that side of the scale because that's what Paul was like. He, he wasn't always begging. And let, let's just listen to what he says here. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. We know that Paul worked in Priscilla and Aquila's tent making shop probably until 11 o'clock every morning, and then he would go and he would lecture for the next three or four hours in the school, and then he would probably go out to house groups or whatever and, and have individual meetings with people. He only worked maybe three hours in the morning in Priscilla and Aquila's tent shop, but he says that he provided for all of his own needs and the needs of his companions. Friends, that's quite a significant little statement there. He had at least three... Timothy, Silas, uh, there were several others. He had at least three companions. Some people believe it was 10 or 15 companions who were people who were with him, working, going to the different groups, checking how everything's going, going to different cities. He had helpers, and he says he paid them out of his own money. How on earth is that possible? Just work with me for a second. How could he work just making tents for three hours in the morning and have enough money to pay for 15 people's salaries as well as his own? How? How do you do that? Any ideas? <laughs> Can I tell you how? I believe. This is, this is Gregology. This is where Greg reads in the Bible and then puts a little bit of an assumption in, on it. And so if this isn't what you believe, that's fine. Priscilla and Aquila were with Paul in Corinth before Ephesus. He worked with them. And then it says he took them to Ephesus. He left them there for about six months. And then he came back and he worked with them. I believe in that year and a half in Corinth where Paul was living with Priscilla and Aquila, he inspired them to say, we need to get the gospel out. Why don't you start a business in Ephesus and I'll be a partner and all the prophets of that business will go into this mission. I honestly believe that's what happened. Priscilla and Aquila said, up until now, we've been living our businesses for ourselves. It's for our retirement. It's for our children. It's for our this and that and, and maybe a surfboard or whatever. You know, they're different dreams. And suddenly they got a vision for the kingdom planting churches around the world. And they said, this new business that we start in Ephesus, every cent of profit, every penny Paul, you and us, we're going to finance this mission. There's no other way, I believe, that he could have paid for him and all of his helpers. 
And it's a challenge to you, friends. Priscilla and Aquila were normal, everyday business people, and they got a vision for this thing. Again, instead of, instead of being an institutional thing where I go to church and I just pay my little bit every... No, no, this is... A, we're on a mission. We're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we're going to plant churches, and whatever it takes, I'm, I'm in. And so Paul was able to pay for everyone. Listen to the next verse. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul could have taken a salary. In fact, many times he speaks of taking a salary and he tells Timothy to take a salary and he tells Timothy to pay the elders a salary. But Paul said the reason I did this was I'm showing you guys by example what it's like when you get a vision for being generous. Isn't that lovely? And then in Corinthians, which I don't have time to talk about now, but he says, the Philippian church begged me to give money to this mission. The way that Paul inspired people by example caused the people to beg him to take the gifts. He wasn't begging them. He wasn't saying, guys, we've got this massive need. Please give, please give, please give. They were saying, please, can we share in this great mission? You see, you see the difference? It springs out of the people's heart when they get a vision for what we're actually doing. You know, a club like the Rotary Club or the bowling club, they say, okay, let's get together. What do we need? Well, we need a new fence. We need a new door. We need this. Okay, I'll chip in a little bit. That is the opposite of this church. Here, the people are saying, there's a whole world to reach. I'm going to give all, all that I am to this mission. It's not, let, let me just cover the needs of this little group. Let's look at the world. Lift up your eyes and look at the harvest field. The, the fields are white into harvest. That's what Paul inspired. Okay, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. There was a lot of crying going on in this meeting. Paul cried a lot and then the elders cried a lot. Verse 37, then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Can you imagine that happening in a formal service? The right Reverend Archdeacon Bishop, Reverend Dr. Paul comes out. There's it's none of that. It's family and friends on a mission, weeping freely. <laughs> Do you see it? Do you get it? It's, it's a family. It's a bride. It's an army. It's not an organization. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. They wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. I'm going to just close, use my last few minutes to just talk about how this works, I think. And again, I'm not saying we've got it right. I'm not saying I know exactly how it's supposed to look. <coughs> I think this, this meeting on a Sunday is the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's the bigger meeting. It's not where everyone shares. It's not where everyone contributes. It's a time of training, but then we have little groups 
all over the place where people share their gifts, where people are trying to reach out to the lost. So somebody said to me this week, Craig, what are you expecting of us? I'm just an average Christian. What do you want me to do? Plant a church? And I said to him, why don't you think about inviting a few people around to your house? You can even call it a games night. And you just befriend non-believers and maybe you say a prayer at the end. Or you join a life group. We've got life groups, which are not Bible studies, by the way. They're not a place to just study theory. They're a place to share our lives. And maybe there's a little bit of Bible study in there, but the main point is to share our lives and our love with one another. You could do that. What about this? How many old age homes are there in Jersey? What about if somebody went to the authorities of the old age home and said, could I come in once a week and share Jesus with a, f a little group of people? Or hold a service on a Friday night, Saturday night, whatever. We've got the leading lights thing on the internet. You can show the, the sermons. You can, um, you know, show them up on a screen. And you could get a little church going in the old age home, in a school, in a prison. All around the world. There's, peop there's people who are willing to take this up. We've got this website. And what we're saying is anyone, anywhere. So Paul and Sarah, who were part of our church, I know Angela's been in their home. They, they've said, yes, we're going to do this in Winchester. We're going to start a little group and we're going to gather people and love them. There's somebody in Cameroon. There's somebody in Spain. Um, there's somebody up the north of England. There's people in Africa who are saying, yes, we can do this. Suddenly, instead of it just becoming, you know, I've got to do five years of Bible school and be ordained before I can do any ministry. No, no, you can do ministry. I can, all of us. And my gift may be different to yours, but when our gifts work together, then the church looks like it did in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to conclude. The church, I believe, worldwide has made a mistake in saying only ordained people can do ministry. It's a terrible mistake. It's a terrible error. There's no such thing in the Bible. There were elders. Paul chose elders and they oversaw, but they didn't do all the ministry. They made decisions. There was one guy at the top, which was Paul, and then after Paul it was Timothy, and then after Timothy it was John, and that guy was the overseer or the angel of the church or the messenger of the church. There was that, but then there were elders who oversaw, but then the ministry happened in small groups. Some were discipleship groups, some were outreach groups, some had different purposes, but it was organic and it just moved and happened as it went along. To say that only an ordained person can do ministry kills the body of Christ. It kills it, stone dead. To say that church is just the big meeting on a Sunday kills church, stone dead. Church is whenever we get together anywhere to spread the gospel of Christ. And then we come together in a bigger meeting and then we go out and we come together and we go out and the church becomes this vibrant thing. I want to thank those who have filled out a response form that are on your chairs. Last week we had such a great response. I was so blessed by the response of everybody last week. But you may not have been here last week, so you may not have filled out one of those response sheets, or you may not have done it yet and you're still thinking and praying about it. Please feel free to fill them out now. And um, we'll have a bucket at the front here where you can leave them after the service. 
but we would love to get those response sheets back and then probably in a week or two's time we'll get all those answers together and we'll come back to you and we'll say this is awesome so many people have volunteered for this to start groups to host groups to be in groups to go to bible school and we will try and see not to make it an organization but to try and help the organism just grow in jersey and not just jersey all around the world because this church is an amazing group of people who are willing to share in spreading the gospel beyond themselves and i'm so grateful for you guys so if you could just stand with me now and we're just going to pray thank you lord jesus maybe you could play the guitar huh? i'm, I'm going to ask you friends just to focus on jesus right now at the beginning of the book of revelation john says i was in the spirit on the lord's day on the island of patmos and then suddenly he saw somebody who was jesus and he was shining bright and and he was speaking and his voice sounded like the many waters rushing but the amazing thing is the first thing that jesus had to say to john was he had a message for seven churches in the province of asia which is this place where ephesus was and Ephesus was the first church that he had a message for. And he said to the angel or the messenger or the leader of the church in Ephesus, say this, you've done well, you've, you've seen what's right and wrong and you've worked hard, but you've lost your first love. You've lost that passion that you had. Repent and do the things you did at the beginning when your church was first formed. Repent and start having outreach and groups and planting churches and being a living organism again. And I'm going to say to you, whoever's listening to my voice, if you're here in this room or if you're somewhere in the world listening to this podcast or watching this on the internet, Jesus is speaking to you again. He's saying to you, well done so far, but come on, there's much more. There's much more from today onwards. Have you lost your first love? Have you lost the vitality and the passion of what church and a relationship with Jesus can really be. And if you have, it's time to ditch the formality, the organizational structure, and let's become a living, vibrant body on the move with a mission. Let's do it like they did in the New Testament. Let's give everything to this mission. Everything we have, everything we are, give it all to this goal of reaching the world for Christ. Start a group, step out of your comfort zone. Get into a group, get into a life group, a small group. Start inviting friends, start thinking about how you can start new things. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for everyone listening, including myself, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Jesus, if I've lost my first love, please help me to do the things that the Ephesian church did at the beginning to be focused, to be a family focused on a, on a bigger mission. Help me, Lord. Lord, where I've just made it into a sterile, cold formality, please help me to breathe life in it, get into it again. Jesus, I pray the church would not just be something I attend, but it would be my mission in life. Your mission, Lord, becomes my mission. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Show me my place, my part in the body. Show me how to use my gifts in small meetings to extend your kingdom. 
Lord, I pray right now that around the world, many, many little light groups, little home groups would spring up around the globe, Lord. Australia, New Zealand, Asia, India, Africa, Europe, especially Scandinavian countries, Canada, America, South America, the whole planet, Lord, I pray. Lord God, let your gospel spring up. Let us, let us become the church that you want us to be, a bride, spotless, without blemish, Lord. Inspire us again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are right now, friends, just to ask the Lord, say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Lord, what do you want me to do about this? And maybe you're a church leader listening to this somewhere in the world. And you've said, I've set up my church. And I don't know if I'm a small house church or a big city. I don't know what I am. I just encourage you to try and model your church based on what the Bible says Ephesus was like. Model your church like that. Don't try and do all the pastoring because you can't. You're supposed to be overseeing a city. Model your church correctly. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing a couple of songs. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.